This Tome Show production is supported by listeners like you. Keep using the affiliate links for Amazon and dndclassics.com and support the show while you shop. Welcome to the News Desk. Once a month, we get together to chat about the latest news in D&D, and your two anchors today are Sam Dillon, that's me. And I'm Jeff Greiner, and we're here to talk about the D&D news from April and May of 2014. Two months where nothing was going on in the world of D&D, right? <laughs> if you've been living under a rock. Yes, right. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about tonight. I expect it to go be a supersized episode. But first, we need to introduce our man on the street, Randall Walker, in the lair of Tiamat herself. Randall, how are things in there with the mother of all dragons? Chatty. <laughs> Chatty? She's got a lot to say with her five She's heads, got huh? five heads and they all won't shut up. <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying Chatty DM was down there with you. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> No, he's got better places to be, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, well, in this episode, there's just too much news to break it up and do it in the normal format that we normally use. Uh, there's a lot of big topics, but not a lot of small uh, insights to pick apart. So instead of doing it our normal way, this time we're going to go through all the news, big and small, from the last couple of months and see if we can sort it all out. Also, later in this episode, you're going to get to hear from Ed Greenwood, Elminster himself, about his upcoming novel, The Herald, The Last of the Sundering Books. You know they used to actually pay Ed Greenwood to dress up like Elminster at Gen Con and go around talking in in character? Really? I understand it used to drive people crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But they did. I heard stories about it. Not not any of the years I've ever Mm -hmm. been. Anyway, before we get too far... I want to remind everybody that you can help support the show. If you like what we're doing over here, head on over to thetomeshow.com. Use the links to Amazon and D&D Classics when you stop by and, and go shopping for your normal sort of D&D Classics and Amazon experiences. Same prices, same stuff, same everything, except, you know, it helps us out a little bit. So go check it out over at thetomeshow.com. You'll see a couple of banner links in the post. Now, into it. We got a lot going on. Dun, da, da, da. First up. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but D&D, the fifth edition of D&D, they haven't called it like D&D 5e or anything like that, right? They're, they're just sort of calling it the fifth edition of D&D. Or just well, Dungeons and Dragons, he, period. Actually, yeah, Mike Merle said yeah. it's Dungeons and Dragons, but in in articles where there's a mention of another different right. edition, they will specifically then point out this yeah. is the fifth edition. They're not, otherwise, they're not it's fighting D&D. it too much. Right, right. They're, they're, I mean, they're just basically saying, it's just D&D. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. whatever. But but they're also not, like, being obstinate about it, like some other brands are sometimes with these That's things. right. That's right. So, they're being very user-friendly with it, in other are. words. They're not and, and They're realistic. not going to... They're not going to stomp their feet and whine if people call it 5th edition. Right. Uh, so they, they release, like, we know when it's coming out and what the books are and how much they cost and all of that. Yep. Yep. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I do. Tell me, tell uh, me. So here's how it goes. The uh, starter set is going to be released on July 15th. What's a, what's a starter set? The starter set is basically a kit for dungeon masters that will allow a dungeon master to run a group of four to six players through some sort of campaign or start of a campaign. And the uh, starter set will include information that will take characters from first through fifth level. 
Now, remember, that sounds like a huge span, but remember, levels one and two are kind of truncated in in, mm-hmm. in this edition of the game. They're they're I think w- level one is two hundred and fifty experience, and then you become level two, and then it's nine fifty, and then you become third level, and then it sort of becomes a more traditional longer gap in between the levels. Um, so you might consider that one to five. You might consider it one to three, depending on uh, your particular. Uh, but, proclivities but it's, there. I think the idea is, of the product is that it's enough of a taste. I mean, you could play, mm. you could play a month or two, yeah. You know, with just the starter set to see, hey, this D and D thing seems like a lot of fun. Let right. me buy this cheaper product and test it out for a few months. And, oh yeah, yep. we like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, however, has, I don't believe there are any character creation rules in it. Aha! Uh-huh. However, that's true. Play that's true. Three gens. You the, have to play the, three gens, except for the announcement that came out this week as we're recording. Right. Which we, if we, why don't we go and skip to that since it's relevant here? Um, they're releasing a PDF for free of D and D, the fifth edition of D and D Basic, which has levels one to twenty of the four core classes plus uh, what the four core races. Mm-hmm. So you can yes. play from those classes one to twenty and those races without actually ever buying a book. So there's your character creation rules for free, Randall. Yep. And that's a good deal. That is. Oh, that's awesome. I think that's a fantastic thing. I think that was a really brilliant thing for them to do. I mean, it's enough of a taste that you can play for free, um, and and who doesn't want to play a free game, right? Um, That's right. Now, I do want to step in here and do and make a and make a comment on the wording of his on on Mike's article, Mike Merle's article on this announcement. Mm -hmm. He makes a comparison between the rules cyclopedia. And the and advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and it's a bad analogy because those are different games. <laughs> sure, they actually had different rule sets. Um, they were minor, but they were enough to where it was hard to translate one character over to another. And if, as far as I'm concerned, if you can't cart one over to another place, that's not the same rule system. Although. Now, I will point out that this system of having basic and advanced, although they're not calling it advanced, is actually more accurate than what they had at the time, right? Perhaps, but I don't want to muddle the issue. I just, no, I just thought, right. yeah, I think Mike is, I mean, I get what he was trying to say, but those really were different games. And this is not going to be the case. This will be a true basic set where you get to add extra stuff on later right. if you wish to get the main core books. That's or, right. Additional add-ons. The, so. the idea is it's the same exact game. It's just a core rule set that gives yep. you access to four classes, the four standard classes, and maybe some subclasses later on, he mentioned, mm-hmm. and also four, the four standard races. And basically, if that's good enough for you, you can play 5th edition for the next several years without having to purchase a product. 500. You can do it for 500 years. 500 years. Okay, I'm declaring so, it right now. That's for five hundred. You know, I years. would so play five hundred years, idea. and I would play five hundred more. <laughs> yes, to see the and dungeon I would as master, well. and yes. <laughs> yeah, and show up at his door or something like mm-hmm. that. I don't know. Uh, and anyway, so <laughs> Sam's uh, over here trying to report the news, and we're I'm, playing. Jokes. I'm trying to report the news. It's okay. <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, uh, it's all right. I'm going to make Randall walk five hundred miles back from Tiamat's lair. So. Uh, <laughs> But uh, so the idea That's is fair. the core the core is free, and so if you learn that you like it, if you play around with it, you learn that you like it. It's something you really want to explore. Modules will be released later. First of all, you could pick up the the player's handbook and the DMG and the monster manual and all that. 
and then uh, presumably there will be modules later on that will add more complexity to the game. So, but the the basic D and D PDF is still going to be the core basis of the game. It's it's not a teaser. It's an actual game. It probably you know probably won't have a lot of art and all that kind of stuff, but it will be the core of the game, and so that's all you will need to play. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I think anybody who is interested enough in playing D&D from getting that system for, for any length of time is going to become a customer of the other products. And I mm-hmm. think that's the brilliance of the system, right? Hey, you can yeah. totally play D&D for free. But if you if you do play it and you like it, guess who's going to go out and, and drop 50 bucks on a player's handbook? Well, so let's talk about those. Let's uh, so do that. The, the the starter set is going to be released on July fifteenth, and according to the news so far, uh, that basic DD PDF will be available at the same time. Yep. Uh, and then on August nineteenth, so roughly slightly more than a month later, um, you will be able to purchase the player's handbook for Dungeons and Dragons. It's the f- basically one of the core rule books, and it is a 320-page hardcover. I'm sure it's going to be full of art, um, which I guess maybe we should say the uh, the starter set comes with – it's a 96-page, but it's two booklets, a 64-page and a 32-page, um, and six dice. So it's basically, you know, if you have that, that basic D&D download and you have the starter set, you can probably run a nice little campaign. And then the Player's Handbook is a 320-page hardcover full of art. Um, for the uh, MSRP or manufacturer's suggested retail price of forty nine ninety five. So we've uh, discussed that price point before. Yes, because of the Barnes and Noble. <laughs> because of the Barnes and Noble leak. So, so how do we feel about that now? Uh, it's about what we paid for the other ones. I'm not complaining. It's more than we I paid never. For the other yeah, ones. I I wasn't. I was never a complainer about the price. I think that it's a steep price for some people, but. Um, I think I, I think my my sort of go to response is well you know what I know people who go out uh, every other weekend and spend a hundred bucks on alcohol going bar hopping or that will go out and and you know this is a hobby it's going to have some expense related to it uh, if I was a skier I'd spend you know several hundred dollars on equipment and and lift tickets you know several times yep. a year or if I was a golfer I would buy golf clubs or you know I mean there's there's just it's a hobby there's expenses it's not going to be free I'm sorry well, and I don't think fifty bucks is too much and I think the the concern that I would have here is is um, getting people into a game, but the basic being free and the starter set being relatively Takes inexpensive kind of kind of addresses that concern, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Um, now, I I did look at it, and, and when I was I was talking it over with my group in our game last week, uh, last weekend I should say, and it occurred to me, hey, I wonder how that compares. And so I pulled out some older books uh, from from. Uh, in fact, I, I compared it to the fourth edition books and. 320, I think, is exactly the same number of pages as the 4th edition Player's Handbook. Um, so it's a little more expensive, not exorbitantly more expensive, but a little more expensive for the same number of pages there. But, as you were about to say, the other two books, the Monster Manual and the DMG, are the same price, and they are gaining uh, mm-hmm. like 60 pages and 100 pages mm-hmm. in each of those books. Right. You know, So I'm getting a lot more out of those books for... A slightly increased price, and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, if I'm I'm willing to pay more, if I'm going to get more for it, yeah, I just think you know, I, I understand fifty dollars is a lot of money, um, and that's gonna that's gonna affect people's purchasing mm-hmm. choices. I totally get that. I, I'm not 
I'm not saying, oh, quit whining and pay the pay your money. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is for me, I, I can go through and I can look at this product and say, look, for these three books, if I spend $150 and I spend 20 bucks on a starter set, I spend $170, but I'm going to use these books every couple of weeks for the next two years. And so if you and for a five hour session every two weeks for the next two years, you're talking about two hundred hours minus holidays and all that. That's like fifty cents an hour or something. Yeah, the ridiculous. level of entertainment. That, that is a very seen. it's a very low amount. Now, the response to that could be, well, you don't know what they're gonna release later and you might spend money and blah blah blah. Well, you know, that's for everyone to make their own decisions <laughs> about how they spend their money. You know what I'm right. saying? Like I get that it's a big price point for a book, but Well, and more you know, more so it's a big price point for three books, right? It's the combination. Right. Yeah, but staggering the staggered release sort of soaks a little bit of that up. Maybe mm-hmm. not all of it, but and also not everyone needs it. You know, some people will be happy with just the basic D and D PDF. Yep. Some people will want the player's handbook so they can make maybe a more complex or a deeper character. I mean, I don't haven't seen it, so I don't know what's going to be in there compared to the basic. And some people, you know, will buy the the monster manual and the DMG because they're going to run games. And some people won't buy that. I mean, it's you know, I think there's a variety. I think what I see from this is there. Providing a variety of options, and I think it's a good thing. Now, here, here's a question that came up uh, tangentially related uh, in my game group uh, last weekend when we were talking about this. I had one player say, "Well, ultimately, it doesn't matter what the price point is because I'll get a D and D Insider subscription, and they'll provide me all the content I need there, just like they do for Fourth Edition." Don't bet on it. We don't know that that's the case. We don't. Um, and that's, and, a good, and that's a concern, too, because when I said that to the player, his response was, look, if they don't provide digital support for this stuff, I'm not going to play the edition. Well, I'll tell you what, and I can't answer that particular player's desire, uh-huh. but um, this edition was designed to get back to basics, to not have to rely on a digital input. Like 4E, yeah. you almost had to have it. But and, not, re- not relying on it and not having it are different things. Well, I... My point is that you should be able to sit down at the table, whip up characters in 15 minutes, and start playing. Yep. I mean, that was their goal. And you do that on pencil and paper. Hell, it takes me that long to boot up my laptop sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I honestly don't think you're going to see, other than the form of, like, you know, modules and things like that that people will have written um, on uh, online, but I don't think you're going to see rules editions and, and things like that because they're going to provide you with a PDF. And I think that's well, going PDF to PDF would be change. digital support. I think that would be fine. Okay, but I don't th- – I'm so not what, sure what that's what that about, player means, What, do you, what so. do you think about Dungeons & Dragons magazines? Oh, I think they should still absolutely keep going. So that, that would be digital content that what he's talking yeah, about. Content, though. sure, but that's not digital sup- – see, to me, digital support means interactive rules, a player character ge- – a player generator, mm-hmm. um, a bunch yeah. of extra crap that – you know, crap, that's probably a strong word. But a bunch <laughs> of extra stuff that, um, you know, that we kind of relied on with 4E, and I don't – I don't think you'll need it now because no, it'll whether, be easier to create a character. Whether you need it or whether and whether it would be useful are completely different things. I think it's great for them to design it not to need it, but I think it's also great for them to provide something like the. I, I'm not even necessarily interested in the the character builder, although that'd be use, useful, or the monster builder because as we're going to talk about there, that's going to to a fairly complex place. Um, but having like a compendium style thing is incredibly useful. You know, right. If you're paying a monthly subscription fee, there's a lot of incentive to to provide that, you know? 
Yeah. What am I going to What am I going to keep paying monthly for if if I'm not getting something like that? I suspect though that I mean because they're going to add rules to the basic PDF after books come out. It seems to me that it'll be a, si- a situation where if you want everything up front, buy the hardcover or the, or the main book or whatever the the physical book, and then wait a few months. And then you'll see that content in an expanded PDF. See, I don't, and I don't know that they're going to. I mean, they talked about expanding the basics to a point. I think that'll stop real fast. I think they're going to expand the basics to um, to support released printed modules. Right. That was the sense that I got, but not necessarily to support the hardcover books that are coming out. You well, know, they will not, for not, the not to a grand extent. Yeah. They will from the Monster Manual and the Dungeon Master's Guide because there's a second PDF coming out immediately in August. Right. Well, or an expanded that, PDF. An expanded mm-hmm. PDF comes out in August with that material. But I think once the DMG is right, out, but they're that's, done. But that, but that expanded material could be also for the Tyranny of Dragons modules right. is what I'm saying. And, and they specifically called that out, actually. They specifically said – I got the impression that they're going to expand it, but they're only going to expand it so that you can continue to run the stuff that you're buying even though the other right. books haven't come out yet. Once the other right. books are out, the core books are out, then I think they're they're done. The basic is the basic. That could be. I mean that, that remains to be seen. Anyway, so back to the books. Yeah. <laughs> the, players, the Player's Handbook will release on August 19th and then on September 30th, so um, – you know, so like roughly a, a month and a few days, a handful of days afterwards, you will see the 320-page hardcover Monster Manual, which is also retailing for forty nine ninety five. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just a little bit after that, a um, month and a half or so after that, on November 18th, you will see the 320-page hardcover Dungeon Master's Guide, mm-hmm. which also retails for $49.95. Um, yeah. And in between there, so I guess I should have gone in order, but in between there, in August, along with the release of the Player's Handbook, there is the release of the first half of the um, War, the Tyranny of Dragons, uh, Hor- it's called Horde of the Dragon Queen is the actual name of the first half of the, of the Tyranny of Dragons campaign. It's a campaign. It's a 96-page book. It's going to retail for $29.95. I'm assuming it's soft cover. Uh, and then uh, the next half of that is The Rise of Tiamat, which is the, the part two of The Tyranny of Dragons, and it will release in October, also a 96-page book for twenty nine ninety five. So this is their big Forgotten Realms launch event to, to kick off the new edition right. uh, called Tyranny of Dragons, dealing with the Cult of the Dragon, dealing with Red Wizards of Thay, and dealing with, with Tiamat, or yeah. Mott, depending on who you are. Right, and also one thing I failed to mention was in July, although there's no specific date, will be the first initial release of the booster packs for the uh, new Dungeons and Dragons miniatures line, which is being produced by uh, WizKids, and uh, it's going to be called Icons of the Realms. That's the name of the first uh, booster kit, and it looks like those booster kits will be uh, four figure packs. Blind boosters for fifteen ninety nine, and it's a large box. So I'm assuming uh, one of those four creatures is going to be a large iconic mm. uh, creature. Mm-hmm. You know, for the first time, I'm not excited about a miniatures release. Oh yeah, why is that? <laughs> no, I love minis, but I think Reaper has pretty much sewn that up for me. I've now bought into two Reaper Kickstarters. I've got <laughs> more minis. That I know. I I love the idea of mini. I mean, minis are great. This is just on my personal note. I definitely yeah, you've got, got enough, excited you're covered. about it. 
I'm mini doubt. So yeah, I'm okay, so actually. there's there's also a an Icons of the Realms starter set, which is not a blind purchase, which has six figures for 1999. Uh, that uh, and by that blind you, you mean uh, randomized or not, right? Right. So so the the the, the starter kit. Uh, the starter set they're calling a starter set for the icons of the realms it's in a, a clear plastic uh clamshell type container so you can see all the minis one of them is drizzed and uh there's a halfling rogue and a human ranger and you know uh so they're they're sort of iconic some iconic pc type uh characters and then then there are booster packs which are blinded which is that you cannot see through the container so it's a mystery which monster you're going to get or which which minis are going to come in that box Right on. Yep. And those are, I, I'm understanding that those are sold specifically for use as minis for the game, and not they're not an actual mini game within themselves. That is correct. Although that's coming yeah. separately. Yeah, that's that's the uh, dragon, uh, dragon dragon flight. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is, it's yeah. a, it's basically like an X wings attack wing. Uh, yeah, the fossa style but, stuff. But with, yeah, yeah, but with yeah. dragons. Yeah, right. it's also worth noting as you mentioned the that release of of miniatures as part of the announcement for the release of Tyranny of Dragons. They also mm. announced that they're going to release a line of miniatures specifically targeted towards Tyranny of Dragons. Well, that's the that's what this is. This icon. Oh, is that what that is? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says. I thought it was, uh, going, to, thought it was going to be branded as Tyranny of Dragons or whatever. Uh, it, it it says combine these high quality miniatures with the forty four found within the D and D Icons of the Realms Tyranny of Dragons booster packs. Okay. There you go. Um, so yeah, to bring exciting new depth to your D and D adventure. So it is. I just didn't happen to read the box. It, it's branded. It has a whole bunch. You know, okay, the box yeah. is a little on my screen. So but and then, and then there's also going to be um, organized play supporting Tyranny of Dragons. Although it's not fully realized, I guess it's basically just taking uh, the first part of the first adventure and they've rehashed it a little bit as an organized play thing. And then if you want more, you can go out and buy the product. It's sort of the way they've, they've organized it, which is, I guess, a good way to support stores, right? Hey, you played these first three sessions. You want to play more, go buy the, go buy the book. Um, and then also the in-video games. They're supporting it through uh, the Neverwinter MMO. Um, you'll be, there will be an update coming later this year called Tyranny of Dragons for Neverwinter also. Right. Right. And it's This worth- is the oh, – go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, you know, this is part of the uh, the, the strategy with this edition is D and D is a brand, not just an RPG. So you're going to have miniatures, you're going to have books for the RPGs, you're going to have hopefully a movie, you're going to have uh, video games, you're going to have uh, different news outlets reporting different things. You're going to, ha- you know, it, it it's an entire, you know, you're going to have novels. You're going to there's just there's a lot of stuff there that is meant to just produce D&D as a brand. It's not an RPG. It's not just an RPG. Right. It's not it's not a video game. It's not just a video game. You know, it's this entire idea of the intellectual property that is uh, umbrellaed by everything that D&D is. They are going to exploit that as much as possible. Well, and this is not the first time they've tried to do big things like that before, right? Mm-hmm. And they've always sort of in my opinion They've always sort of fallen short of what they could have been. So it'll be well, interesting. As far as branding, with, yeah. yeah. It'll, so it'll be interesting to or, and, and follow through a little bit too. Like it, it oh, this is going to be this huge, exciting thing. And yeah, okay, it was pretty all right. 
<clears throat> you know, but a lot of it, you, you get p- your bits and pieces here. You never quite get the whole picture, and it never really coalesces into something that really grabs grabs you. You know, um, you know how you will know when D and D has arrived as a brand is when you have McDonald's Happy Meals with D and D. I'm not kidding. As someone who, who you're not wrong, that would be a pretty strong sign. As someone who works in a marketing department, that is. I mean, I'm going to tell you that that's what it'll. That's when you'll know it'll arrive. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Pez figures. Mm-hmm. Um, with well, like Dritz or, maybe, or Elminster. Maybe or, this is 30 years ago. <laughs> um, uh, no, oh, Pez is still hugely popular. Yeah, but not like it was. Oh, I disagree, Jeff. Uh, I see them all the time. So, but anyway, those are the kind of thing, you know, um, collector's glasses, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, the, the, the idea is you want to be seeing it everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah. When you go into idea. Target, when you go to the Target thing, you want to see the Creo line. You want to see D&D starter sets. You want to see cups and and clothing and and, you know, Books oh, yeah, and do, do yeah. we, everything. Do we really you know, feel like Dungeons and Dragons? Do we really branding. feel like the hobby is at a point though where it's growing to that being the goal? Uh, that's I mean, maybe, lo- maybe long term, but at, at this point, I think is, they're trying. Well, you're talking about the brand as a whole, not not the yeah, game. yeah, exactly. And I think that's the direction they're going because honestly, I think that's what they needed to sell to you know the suits at at Hasbro and at, as at, at Wizards. That this is how we can make this brand profitable, and there's no other way. Because we tried to do it with just focusing on the RPG and growing the RPG, and we tried to do it with having a book here and there, and ha- you know what I mean? So it's, you know, it's, it's full on, let's push this this way, and let's make some really strong decisions, and do them, and stick with them, and do it well. Well, if they you don't know? do it with D&D, they will do it with magic. Mm-hmm. Which makes more money for them anyway. Right. So well, yeah, we'll see. I mean, ultimately, we'll see what happens. That, that yeah. those are large and lofty goals, and much like DC Comics making movies, uh, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, sometimes, well, I, sometimes, I, sometimes yeah, they work. Enough, no, I won't disagree. I mean, I'm not. Fall in their yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that next summer you're going to see D and D clothing, you know, in the stores. What I'm saying is that's the idea, you know, and that, that's why I'm agreeing with Randall. You know, the Pez dispensers. It sounds dumb, a Pez dispenser, but I'll tell no, you I what. Get it. You know, it's it's the idea of you know what if you're a kid and you're running around with a Pez dispenser with uh you know Darth Vader head on it, you know Star Wars has arrived. Well, you know what if the if you if you've got a kid running around with a, a Driz Pez dispenser and he can say who that is and what it's from, then you've arrived. Yeah. And you need to expand that range. Right now, I could name maybe two people, and more if you add the Greyhawk side to things. Right. Well, uh, that's the problem they have, right? Yeah, there's no. You need more character branding, and you need some. Ex, you know, you need some of a way to expand. You know, expand on things involving those iconic characters. I think Forgotten Realms has done a pretty good job on some of their things, and certainly the books do that. Anyone that's read the books knows a lot of the main players in the Forgotten Realms. Right. Anyone who doesn't or hasn't has no idea. Um, so, you know, that's, I, they're going to have a huge, they have a huge gap to make up if they're, if they're going to do that. Um, and that means employ, you know, start writing things involving, you know, their other properties and adding main characters and a cartoon. Characters. There should be a D and D cartoon that goes, Oh well. yeah. <laughs> 
Let's move on to other things because but that, but that's exactly that, but that is honestly that exactly the sort yeah. of thing that you're, that we're talking about, right? I mean, that's yeah. the kind of thing that would yeah. that would that would bring that's a new thing audience. that it'll it'll get it into the households when the kids are young, and then they'll grow with it, and they'll realize, oh, look, it, there's there's some non-kid stuff that has D and D elements too, and I'm going to investigate those. Because I mean, if and you're if you're not if you're not showing people who Drist is, for example, through the game or the novels, you've got to do something like a cartoon. Because, I mean, you can make toys and you can make creos and you can make all those things, yeah. but no, they're not going to know who the character is or care about them based on a toy. There has to be something mm-hmm. to tell those stories. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, they've been marketing to that since I was a kid. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think we've played out Tyranny yeah. of Dragons. <laughs> At least that, yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, you want to talk about the new uh, organized play stuff? Yeah, let's do that. So th- they announced the new organized play system, idea, concept, umbrella, whatever we want to call it, right? Called Adventures League. Can we show up at any organized play session now and, say- and declare that it's adventure time? <laughs> <laughs> you got to tell, no tell your friends. You got to tell your friends. <laughs> the so, fun never ends. So the idea here is that they're they're just sort of talking about rebranding, right? They're basically just rebranding what they're already doing and putting it all under the umbrella of okay, organized play at, at D for D and D is now called Adventure Le- Adventures League, mm-hmm. right? Well, they added they added some elements because they added the ability to become part of a faction. Yes, which wasn't necessarily there before. So they, they've split this up into three major sort of right. venues that you could have an, an, an organized play uh, experience. The, you you the, can yeah, go the, to – yeah, you can go to a con, right? Is that what you were going to say? Well, I was going to say – well, and it's not just cons, but it's sort of their, their game day launch events. Well, so uh, – Right? Isn't that, isn't that what the epics are? Well, it says you know it says you know they're going to have special kickoff events usually taking place at major conventions. Mm-hmm. Right, to that's to set the the stage for the major storyline, but it do, it doesn't get it doesn't make it so that someone who's not there misses out on the whole story. But what it does is gives you a little peek maybe to the very beginning of the story. And I think it's worth noting that that usually is tricky for them on these sorts of things because they've said in the past this is usually how we're going to do things, and they really mm-hmm. mean this is how we're going to do this the first time, see how it goes, and then completely break our rules and do things differently. So I could well, very, yeah, I could very easily see them later on saying, hey, we're really excited about this new take on epics, even though we've only right. you know, given it six months to, to breathe. Sure. Uh, where now we're going to do these in-store game, you know, like they used to do the, the game days. You know, hey, there's this right. awesome new product coming out. Let's do a big game mm-hmm. day with an adventure right. and things to support it at, at the at the store. Yeah, so yeah. I can see Epic's doing that too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm just saying for the for the next year, this is what they're planning. This is what they're saying they're doing. So then, you know, it, there's this Epic's plan, and then you can still go to D and D encounters on Wednesday nights, just like always. Those storylines. Um, you know, will generally be you know like the D and D encounters. Uh, Season when the uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen comes out, that's the D&D Encounters adventure. Right. Although okay. it's worth noting, in some ways they're supporting it more. Like they've been backing off on support of Encounters. Because mm-hmm. uh, it used to be there was a, a physical product and, you, and the DMs would get, get the, a copy of it and there would be a free miniature and all these th- things mm-hmm. that would go with it. And they've backed off to, well, now you have to buy it. It's not free anymore and it doesn't come with all that stuff and it's a PDF. Mm-hmm. Right. right? Um, but... 
this talks about I, – I think that what they've done here is they found a, a little bit of an in-between where they're offering kits. Mm-hmm. So the first time you ever go to an encounter session, they give you a faction kit. Here's right. a bunch of stuff. It's a, it's, a, it's a folder and it's full of character sheets and, and use, <laughs> fun little useful, fun, free things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going to talk more about what's in these later. And then there's a DM packs that, that for DMs who are running encounters. that They can right. get that as well. Uh, you know, so it's kind of an in-between, right? It's not a we're going to give you something every season, but it's a we're going to give you something for doing encounters and you can use it ad infinitum. And they they mentioned somewhere that they're trying to figure out ways to reward dungeon masters. Yeah. That's more than hey, if you run this, you get this little kit stuff, right? right? They're they're trying to do actual rewards that are supportive of the encounters, you know, the the organized play aspect of encounters, and still be cool. Like you know, remember they used to give out like one time they gave out uh, boat tiles, you know, some little dungeon tiles that were boats when that, that that was unavailable basically for a long time. And sometimes they did, you know, you got different modules and all that kind of stuff. So they're trying to do things that are sort of in between. Here's a D twenty, which you know, who needs another D twenty? Sorry, and here's a huge thing that's going to be very expensive for us and so therefore not not sustainable, right? They want to have have things be sustainable. So they're trying to, you know, intelligently look at how to keep this program going, keep the DMs happy, keep the players happy and keep their expenses relatively low um but still be supporting the product. And that's a fine line to walk, you know. Mm-hmm. So they've introduced this faction thing and so you can play in the encounters with uh, factions um or with characters that are connected to factions in some way. Or then you can I mean, I don't know, how do you explain D D expedition? I'm so not if you if you wanna sure. waiting you know, to hear you do it. <laughs> yeah, if if you wanna go, you know, so if if you want to act so I part of the problem with organized play with with the Wednesday night thing is, you know, you have this twelve or fifteen week season or whatever, and then that's the end of the story. And then the next one when it starts, you have to basically start over. Mm-hmm. You it's not really a, a true it doesn't give the true sort of old style campaign experience. And I think what they want to do is try to give a little bit of that. Right. And so if you want to do that, you're doing the part of organized play that's called D and D expeditions. And it's a particular storyline. This to me sounds like a mix between like, like the living campaigns yeah. that they had, and and organized play as as it was for fourth edition. I, I think it's yeah. I think it's trying to mesh, mesh that. What's up, Randall? I was gonna. Well, I wanted to jump in because I really don't yeah. speak much on organized play because I don't do it myself. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not sure it will hold any interest until at least for me. Until they do it like the living campaigns were. Because the uh, actions at the table actually affected what was happening in the campaign setting. And that's what they're describing here with Expeditions. Right. It's that's gonna, what, it's they're, that's what they're saying. Or, it's going to yeah. be set around the, the region of the Moon Sea in the Forgotten Realms. And as you go from area to area in the Moon Sea, each sort of expedition will allow you to actually impact and influence the, the region and the story of the region and products moving forward. Okay, that's cool then. Okay, then I stand corrected. Um, at least that advanced option is is kind of a neat thing because I think they needed – I think that was one of the the things that made a lot of those um, very successful is the fact that they felt like you were actually impacting right. the world you know, in a real mm-hmm. way. Right, so, right. Yeah, and they're they're keeping that, and and these particular expedition things are going to be PDFs provided to stores. 
uh, I don't think they're going to be you don't have to purchase them you know whereas I think mm-hmm. the the um the the regular D and D encounters you're still going to have to purchase that print product mm-hmm. yeah uh, and 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 run it and and your bonus for that is getting to run the game but then also you get a little you know you get the kit and some DM rewards or whatever whereas running expeditions is more you know you're getting this PDF and you're running it and it's more like a living Forgotten Realms but but not called that because I think they're trying to do because I think they also want to build in factions and everything too. So right. we'll see how we'll see how that all how that all goes in. And, and it does say that the expeditions will also be supported through kits. So mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, yeah, right, right. Continue yeah, to yeah. get stuff. It's not just the the PDF. Um, and, and so back to the the factions thing. Talk a little bit about factions. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, what t- do you want me to say? Uh, so, what what, what know, are they? How do they work? Factions are they're uh, groups of um, of 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 organizations. I mean, in game yeah, organizations. The organizations within the Forgotten Realms, because that's their their main campaign setting, for, at least for the next couple of years. There are there are organizations that you can have membership in, and that will give you particular. Um, Goodies, basically. Yeah. It, it's going to give you certain boons, or uh, boon is the wrong word to use because that's what Pathfinder uses for their organized play. But y- you get certain benefits for being a part of particular factions. It's going to be and, things like the Harpers and you know, right. the the worshippers of Seluni or you know mm-hmm. whatever. Right. Uh, It'll be official uh, organizations that have existed in the realms for a long time. Right. That said, it's interesting that you bring up Pathfinder and boons because in some ways I oftentimes see – D&D following in their footsteps. And this is one of those, right? I see them doing factions, and I'm like, oh, isn't this what Pathfinder's been doing for a long time? Yes. So yes. It, uh, uh, And that's okay. I mean, ultimately, Pathfinder is built off of them taking D&D and imitating mm-hmm. that, right? So... So that's I'm, I don't have a problem with it. I'm just I'm, it's interesting to point out to see which because a lot of times the two of them end up doing the same thing. Like D and D did a comic, and then Pathfinder did some comics, and then mm-hmm. D, you know Pathfinder did did their factions, and now D and D's doing their factions, and they they tend to emulate each other a lot. Right. I mean, you know, Pathfinder has the Pathfinder Society, and D and D has the Adventurers League, which right. You know, I mean, it, you know, they're 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 games that are based on fantasy worlds using the same fantasy tropes that their ancestors were built on. So it's no surprise that they're they and have you, such and common using a things, lot of the same know. designers that jump back and forth. Of right? course, I mean, yeah. So. I mean, it's it's not a derogatory thing to say that D and D is doing something that Pathfinder did because what Pathfinder is doing is working. Sure. So it's you know, and Pathfinder came from D and D. So Pathfinder took what D and D had been doing that was working and expanded on it. And now you know, so it's not a it, it's a push pull. It's not a right. an all or nothing, or it's not a you know, I, you know. I know some people are going to go, oh, well, you know. Wizards of the Coast must have saw the writing on the wall, and they're doing what what Pathfinder's doing because, of course, it's better. It's like no, you know, there are certain things that are better, maybe, or that there were interesting enough for the people at D and D to look at, the people at Watsi to look at, and say, "Hey, we want to incorporate the cool thing about that into our game." There's nothing wrong with that. No, absolutely. No. Anything else on the new organized play system? I don't think so. All right. I got nothing. Uh, the only other thing on organized play that I want to bring up is that Dead in Thay, um, the, the current organized play uh, adventure, I guess, uh, has <laughs> launched. It is out, uh, and there will be a review of it from the Tome Show coming uh, shortly, whenever Sam decides it's ready. <laughs> <laughs> they should have uh, called it Things to Do in Thay When You're Dead. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, other than that, video game news. We talked about the the tyranny of dragons coming to Neverwinter. Neverwinter just had another update, and Baldur's Gate, which we've talked about being available on the iPad and, and what have you, is now available on Android through the Google Play Marketplace. Yay. So all of you Android tablet users, you can go out and enjoy Baldur's Gate, the what is it, the enhanced edition, uh, along mm-hmm. with all of us uh, iOS users. So enjoy. Okay, Sweet. so before we dig into all of the Legends and Lore updates, because all that stuff that we've talked about is the non-Legends and Lore articles um, in this supersized news desk, let's take a break from hearing us ramble to instead hear us talk to Ed Greenwood about his upcoming novel, The Herald. All right, and I am here now with uh, Ed Greenwood, creator of The Forgotten Realms, who I, I hesitated for a moment to come up with all kinds of glorious titles to, to bestow upon you. Hi, <laughs> hi. But you just call me Ed. That's that's cool. <laughs> Ed is fine. Okay. Uh, so we're here to talk to you about the Herald, the 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 next in the series of Elminster novels and the last of the Sundering novels. Yes. Uh, so so let's be uh, real vague first off. Uh, what is the Herald about? The Herald is about three hundred. Uh, no. Okay. Let let me be. Um, the Herald is about. A climactic rushing together of all sorts of forces. It's sort of near the end of the Sundering. Stuff has been building for quite some time throughout the Sundering novels. For for instance, uh, the gods are are scrambling for power, and some of the gods figure that they can uh, they can become more powerful than they were before in the Pantheon or. Um, they have to defend themselves so they don't fall in in rank in the pantheon by having um, lots of mortal worshippers, and they start beating the bushes for chosen. It seems like anybody can be a chosen, and that leads to certain deities um, instructing their their mortal servants to, in effect, round up the chosen. There are concentration camps of chosen in some of the earlier books of the Sundering Saga. So what we see in the Herald is the, the coming together of some pretty high-powered forces, and this is showdown time. And we also see what happens to Elminster, uh, who is with Storm, and his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-
cast down and had to manifest as avatars. But at other times, they could either be avatars or they could have chosen or they could do both. Uh, why chosen this time and why no, no manifestations of gods? Oh, there are manifestations of gods. D- d- don't worry. You'll, you'll get to see some. <laughs> but it, it's consi- first of all, it's considered bad form amongst the gods to um, step out there. Hi, it's me. See my shiny teeth. I am a god. Um, sort of how we saw Loki in, <laughs> in some of the uh, Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is a risk to stepping onto the stage directly. And one of the risks is... If you're a, it's sort of like a lot of war games that we we both may have played. There's a piling on factor as somebody gets ahead. You know, right near the end of the game, if somebody's winning, everybody gangs up. Okay, mm-hmm. that can happen too with a god if they step on the stage because it's sort of like, hey, I was observing the rules, but you've just broke them. So okay, the gloves are off. That there's there's that, and the other thing is, um, what we have discovered, and and I state this pretty explicitly in the Herald, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it here, but what the gods have slowly become to real, uh, come to realize throughout the centuries of the realms that we've seen chronicled, so sort of the mid-1300s all the way through to right now, if they can manipulate mortals into doing their will and the mortals sort of do it themselves learn their own lessons make their own mistakes then it seems to stick and work and the more the gods step in and directly meddle like step into somebody's body or their head and force them to do something or manifest directly and force their their will on the world the more things go wrong there's the 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 world itself, whether it's AO, whether it's the inherent um, forces of the world, whether the, the world itself has a consciousness that is subconscious and underneath the gods, something seems to work against the gods when they meddle directly. And what they achieve tends to um, go awry or not last long or turn upon them and bite them themselves – Whereas if they work through mortals and they better mortals along the way, it seem their 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 achievements seem to stick, and and therefore there will always be deities that love to destroy. It is in their nature. Talos, Shar, um, deities of that sort, they exist to to um, you know cut loose and smash things, but the other deities. Seeing are beginning to realize that it's better if you work in small and subtle ways using mortals. It seems to turn out better. So that's one of the reasons um, that you're seeing this approach. Now, that doesn't mean you won't see really heavy-duty mortals rolled out onto the stage and cut loose. And the Herald is full of that. If you want, you know, heavy-duty battles, you will get to see lots of heavy-duty battles in the Herald. This was my novel where I was encouraged to roll up my sleeves and cut loose. So I did. Okay. <laughs> now, so what you're describing, uh, almost like, so we've been told, uh, what, since a couple of years ago at Gen Con, that um, the sundering is sort of the ending of this time of turmoil for the realms that started with the time of troubles, right? It, yes. Things went, went crazy then, all kinds of stuff happened, and now the sundering sort of calms things down a bit. 
is that an intentional sort of mindset uh, when you talk about the gods sort of learning to become less meddlesome? Uh, is that also going to play into the to the whole, you know, so not so much turmoil in, in the world anymore? Mortals sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, well, yeah, what, what's happening now is um, Abir and Toril, the two worlds, moved into conjunction, moved through each other, and we had absolute physical chaos, you know, Countries disappearing, other countries appearing in their place, earth moats, um, the the great rift tearing open, uh, the sea of fallen star, uh, the the sea of fallen stars, the inner sea draining away, so it was half the size it was. All this stuff is going on. Um, there's there's famine, floods, rains of locusts. You know, I can invoke the whole mm-hmm. <laughs> thing, and the motors who've lived through it are pretty beaten down because remember. We can flash through it in a, in the publication history of this imaginary world in a year or two, but the length of time it's covered in which magic has been unreliable and new schools or or methods of mo- of accessing magic have arisen the hard way experimentally um, has been m- more more than a lifetime for some people because uh, some people didn't last very long <laughs> but I mean it's it's over a century of tumult they're they're beaten down they're tired and at the same time we've watched these two worlds move through each other and now they're that's the sundering they're moving apart now and as they move farther and farther apart things settle down because the forces it's sort of like if you if you forced two balls of mud that you picked up in your hand through each other there's going to be utter chaos but if you then finish pushing them through each other and you take what's what you can still find in one ball in one direction and what you can still find in another ball in an, in another direction things will settle down and that's what's happening now so the the chance the mad scramble amongst the gods the gods coming back and so on that's going to settle down mm-hmm. now that doesn't mean there aren't going to be um menaces in the world because the, the, uh, amongst all of this chaos uh Rulers and kingdoms and power groups rise and fall. And you will see, as always happens, um, any power vacuum, local or widespread, someone will try and rush in to fill it. And that's where the tyranny of dragons, the next story set in the realms that's just been announced, comes in. And there are other stories beyond that one. So things are happening. Sure. And it, w- we saw in, you know, murder in, in Baldur's Gate and the legacy of the crystal shard, that there's still lots going on. But I would hope, from the point of view of a mortal stuck in, in on the ground, in the middle of Faroon, it would be really nice not to have the gods show up to have tea <laughs> every day. <laughs> Angry. Mm-hmm. And with a mission for you. You know, it would be really nice just to be left to get the crops in for once, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, now, you talked a bit about how... Um the two worlds are like mud balls moving through each other. Um, and you also talked about how, you know, you, you can then separate them out again and you have two mud balls. But if I send mud ball A through mud ball B, when they come out back apart, there's still going to be a bit of mud ball A in mud ball B. Yep. So is that, does that mean we're not going to completely go back to the way the world used to be before the spell plague? Some of, some of a beer will still be mixed in with our Toral? 
we shall have to see. Because, again, from the point of view of mortals on the ground during the Sundering, all of the traditional lines of communications, no, which was mainly, uh, because it's easy to get the idea from our fiction and so on, because we tend to feature people who can use magic, that there are there's lots of instantaneous communications. But for most people, the caravan shows up and, you know, you buy the guy a tankard of beer and he gossips and you get the latest news. And half of it is wrong or he's distorting it every time he tells it because, hey, he's had three or four tankards now. You know, <laughs> and you, that's how you learn what's going on in the world. Think The communications are imperfect because, for one thing, a lot of the caravans have been disrupted because all of this stuff has been going on. And the traditional trade routes um, have been, how, how shall I put it, I guess short-circuited would be the, the best term because, you know, if, if you're used to carrying um, wagon loads of grain from X to Y and getting paid for it, and all of a sudden, there's a famine right locally, and you can get the same money for your grain without taking it anywhere. And there are hungry mouths, and those hungry mouths are attached to people who have weapons and just might try and take it from you if they're desperate enough, hungry and desperate enough, that, that you will say, okay, let's sell it right here. So, so you know, the, the, the news, the spread of reliable news is, is suffers. So... Mortals on the ground may not know all of the stuff that's gone on mm-hmm. for another couple of years until the caravans start coming again in a regular fashion. And the, the caravan merchant says, hey, I have I got news for you. I need a full meal as well as a tankard this time. And let me show you my new map because, hey, this is what it looks like now. I mean, that may not happen for a couple of years. Sure. But uh, I... I by by the power vested in me by my great magic, I can foresee things that I'm not allowed to tell you about um, coming up for the realms in oh over the next two years. Um, and there are going to be other menaces, but I'm not seeing at the moment really really heavy duty stuff on the order of the Sundering. Sure, I, I think what we're seeing is you'll see the realms and things might be slightly different in some ways, but it's, it's starting to settle again. Mm -hmm. And therefore, because it's starting to settle, everybody who's just been scrambling to stay alive, dusts themselves off. And the evil megalomaniacs that were just trying to stay alive along with all the nice, honest, hardworking farmers go, Hey, (laughs) time to take over the world again. (laughs) And then they get stirring, and things will happen. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that, that it takes time for information to get out. And uh, that has been my experience reading the Sundering series as well. Uh, I, the first three books felt a lot like um, a lot of anticipation of the Sundering happening, but the Sundering wasn't really happening yet. Uh, it wasn't until the Reaver that we saw sort of things starting to change in very real ways with the geography Right, uh, yeah, and some other things going on uh, moving forward into the Sentinel, which we're, I'm in the middle of reading right now. Um, and, and, and things are happening in the Sentinel, aren't right? They? Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, and um, and every author that we've talked to so far uh, has told us that they've sort of been told they've carved out their bit of the story that they're that they're going to tell, and it was all sort of agreed upon, or whatever, and. 
Ed Greenwood gets to play uh, cleanup, right? Yeah. Let's let's fill in all the gaps that haven't been filled in by everybody else. Uh, so I'm wondering, the big gap for me is, are we ever going to find out what caused the sundering? Ah, okay. Probably not in the pages of the Herald. Okay? Because mm-hmm. he- here's the problem. Although I understood from the beginning that I'd be batting cleanup, <laughs> I also had a certain finite amount of time to write the book and a certain finite word count. And it's always more important to tell the story at hand than to try and throw in everything. You know, try and walk across the continent saying, meanwhile, just to check up with you on what was happening in Karatur, meanwhile, in mm-hmm. <laughs> down here, in the place we've never shown you before, beyond Algarth, this is what was happening. Meanwhile, the Abolesque, you know, <laughs> um, first of all, that would probably be a lousy book, number one. Number two, it would be an impossibly long book. Instead of going to the bookstore and buying a book, you'd have to buy a shelf. And as much as I'd like to write that, because, hey, I would like to walk all over the realms exploring everything. Um, there's a certain, you know, price point and time, you know, I just can't do it. The way I like to think of the sundering is, and this is an imperfect analogy, but think, think of it as the Second World War. Six authors are writing about their own sets of characters during the Second World War. And particularly in the first book, Bob's book, the it's sort of like we are following these characters here and the front lines, the action in The Sundering, isn't where here is. It's off stage. And increasingly, as you go through The Sundering, you're, it's more and more you are there in the thick of things. Right. T- till when you hit the Herald, you'll be in the thick of the battle. However, the one thing it would be totally unrealistic of me to do with those characters that are on stage in the Herald and what's concerning them and what they're busy doing is for me to stop and say, so, tell me what's happening in... <laughs> okay. Right. So I do a few cutaways um, and... Mert the moneylender you will meet, and th- th- I'm not giving away anything here because the first chapter of the book was made public um, a while ago, and you, Mert is talking with Manchun um, in a c- nobles club in Suzale, and they're listening to the nobles gossiping about the events that are part of the Sundering, and that's about as big an overview as you get right. in the novel, because the rest of it is sort of more like saving Private Ryan down on the battlefield. You are busy on the battlefield. You're not going, hmm, I wonder what maps the generals are looking at right now. No, you're busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and as, as much as I would have liked to have stepped back and said, okay, I'm going to blow 25,000 words here. We're going to walk all over the globe. Mm-hmm. And we're going to tell you what everything is happening. The problem is, it would be like one of those quickie travelogues. You know, the, the travelogues that say Europe. Europe has six, these many countries. They do this, they do this. And in this country, they grow beef. And this country, you know, and you go, right. wait a minute. It's sort of like the 15-minute the tour of the Louvre, you know. Right. 
uh, there's the Mona Lisa. No, you can't stop. You got to go to, you know, I'm, uh, and, I'm, and I wouldn't want to do that to people. I would rather tell a story that works as a, no, as a, as a narrative in a novel. And we've got this wonderful thing called the Wizards of the Coast website now. And pixels are all in the gaps. Free. Yeah. And if somebody has a burning question and they, they quite legitimately say, hey, I can't build my campaign or go on with my campaign until you tell me what happened here. We'll listen and we'll do what we can so as not to, you know, um, harm the news stories we're telling mm -hmm. by revealing too much too soon. But we'll do what we can to put things in. That's one of the things I've been doing in the Forging the Realm columns. Although they're really tiny in focus, you know, they're focusing in on, you know, how the mail works in this place. Right. And, and this guy who's carving um, walking sticks in this place. I'm trying to, like, give you little hints here and there of what has happened in certain things. So you could, you as a dungeon master, don't have something carved in stone that means your players can say, but Ed said, you know. Right. <laughs> but instead you go, oh, it's pretty obvious to me. You put this, this, and this together. I can fill in the rest of the jigsaw without him saying it. Bing. And, and that's what I want to do. Now, I, I may point out that the World War II analogy isn't exactly perfect here, though. Because, mm -hmm. because if I'm reading a, World War, a series of World War II novels, that's okay. I understand the setting and I understand the context because I've learned about World War II in, in history class in middle school. You know? Yes. Uh, we don't have that context here. And my big burning question is, yeah, this is great and I'm really enjoying the stories. But what caused all of this? Like, that is a huge uh, question. <laughs> well, um... I don't think that we can ever have full agreement on that because yeah. remember, even the gods lie to us because they all have their own agendas or they, um, to, to borrow 20, 21st century and 20th century political stuff, they spin. So one person sees event A in front of our eyes in one context Oh, you see, if we didn't have unions, blah, blah, blah. And another person sees the same event and says, you see, this is the military industrial complex, blah, 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 because of where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, we have to sort of trust what we're shown and draw our own conclusions as to what initially caused it. What you will see in the Herald is how certain gods and their mortal followers are taking advantage of the Sundering to achieve what they want to achieve. And there are two or three conflicts. Um, I'm, let's see, how much should I give away? <laughs> um, okay. There are these guys called the Netherese, also known as Shades, also known as Thultanthans. And they have a particular agenda. And there's also this prophecy. This prophecy has been around for a long time. This prophecy, well, there are many prophecies that come to play here, but one of the prophecies caused Kelvin Blackstaff to do something. And we know how long Kelvin's been off the stage. Hmm. And we also know what's going to happen when Elminster, who's on the stage in the Herald, runs full tilt into this prophecy. 
and people don't agree on what the prophecy means. There's there are arguments in the pages of the Herald where people who are putatively on the same side see these words of the prophecy very differently to the point where they're going to fight each other because they passionately believe in the same goal, but they believe in achieving it in completely different ways because they're interpreting the same prophecy differently. So, in the middle of that interpretation, you will get an inkling of one of the reasons why the sundering may be turning out the way it is and what conflicts this is rushing towards and that some people foresaw this and strategically arranged things so that they'll be able to take their own advantage of it. Mm -hmm. But again, because this is supposed to be, among other things, part of a game in which we all get a chance to role play and therefore we want a little elbow room to go our own way, make our own decisions, make our own mistakes as player characters. And the dungeon master may want to shape their campaign this way or that way, rather than having it set in stone mm -hmm. for something this important, this, this, dare I say it, realm shaking. <laughs> we want to leave enough space in there that you can do your own thing, run your own wrinkle on this. So, the other, the other part of me doesn't want to come out and say definitely this, 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 and this. But later on, slowly, we're going to be trickling out little pieces of information. And somebody who wants to can arrange them and go, ah, okay, this means this. But at the, at the same time, if they don't want to do that because that would screw up their particular campaign, they can say, I don't agree. I can see this, this, and this, but I don't put them together in that way. Mm-hmm. To, to um, drag in yet another analogy, um, if we have a Meccano set or a bunch of Lego blocks or just a bunch of Lincoln logs or wooden blocks, we don't all have to arrange them in the same way and make the same thing out of them. We can make different things out of them, and yet they can be the exact same pieces that the guy in the next room has. This is D&D. &D. I think they have to be Creo blocks. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, very good. Well said. But, but you see what I mean, though? We're, we're trying to leave you enough room so that the world stays alive for you. So a, little that, bit, a little bit like they did with the Mornland in Eberron. This, yes. This big thing happened. This is the status quo. It's a mystery why. We're never going to really tell you so you can fill in the gaps and, and tell your own story. Yes. Now, but... As always happens with the realms, remember Sembia? How we were going to keep hands off Sembia? <laughs> um, and, of course, over the years... Did, say, did anybody put, tell Paul Kemp that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, initially with the old gray box, right. we were not going to do much more detailing of Sembia because it was supposed to be where you set your campaign. And, of course, over the years, we started infilling Sembia because... It was right in the middle of things. It was this big gap in the middle of where everything was happening. And, you know, it would have been, huh, couldn't we have chosen that place way over there to be the place we didn't talk about instead of right here in the middle? So things crept in. And in the same way, although the Sundering as a series of novels ends with the Herald, that doesn't mean that, for instance... There won't be another Elminster book after the Herald, or you won't get to see Farida 
and her companions, still in Cormier, after the adversary. Right. No, so, in fact, I've said this with the other authors as well. It feels an awful lot like this story of the Sundering is just going to continue on with those characters. Like, this, the story of the Sundering won't end when the Sundering series ends, it doesn't feel like. You're right, it won't. But um, it'll be dressed up in, in different clothes, as right. in, um, just as the, uh, the Companions, for instance, Bob's book, he'll be going on talking about the Companions and their other adventures, rather than saying, oh... By the way, this is a coda to the Sundering. No, no, he, he's going to be telling, going on telling the organic story that grows out of where the characters got to at the end of the Companions. But in so doing, you can look back, and, and things are all detail, uh, dovetailed. For instance, uh, just to pick Cormier out of a hat, you've got what happens, what happened before the adversary in Aaron Evans' novels, mm-hmm. you know, Brimstone Angels, lesser, you know. Um, and then you have what what happens in the adversary, and then you have what happens in the Sentinel, also set in Cormier. Mm-hmm. Um, because of when those books were being written, the one thing I could not do is look over Troy's shoulder while he was writing the Sentinel, because I was busy writing mine at the same time, you know. So... I had to be a bit careful about what I said about Cormier in The Herald. I can't stop and have long, detailed scenes set in Cormier because I don't know the details of what he's going to put in The Sentinel. So I can't, I can't ring true in the gossip and so on. But I can in my next Elminster book. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, there's a little dance going on there. But it also, uh, as you say, it means... It's not over with the, with the Sundering novels ending. But, you know, novels that say part of the Sundering on the cover, yeah, that That'll ends. end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but the, the realms is alive. We're just looking at it in different ways. And the, the one really cool thing for me, and I wish I could spill beans, but I, I daren't. Because for one thing, it ruins the fun for all of us. Not, you know, yes, I get in trouble. But no, it would also ruin the fun for all of us. I've seen... The plans for what's ahead, and I'm really happy with what I see ahead for the realms. This is going to be so cool. And I know that's easy for me to say, and everybody goes, yeah, yeah, pat, pat, you know. But, but you know, I am a freelancer. I am not a Wizards of the Coast staff member. You know, I don't have to say this. I say it because I feel it. Because of what I've seen, I'm going, oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> now, speaking of things you can't tell us. yes. We're getting up to – well, we're at about the 30-minute mark here. So I think it's time for you to give us one brain-melting thing about the Herald that nobody knows yet uh, as our sort of uh, push-off to the end of this segment. Oh, boy. So go ahead. Lay it out there. Hmm. Fry my brain. You'll get to figure out how the monks of Candlekeep not only season their soup, you'll get to figure out how they make um, – what happens when you use a privy or garter robe? Where it all goes? You'll get up close and personal <laughs> with that. Well, that's that's incredibly important. I'm 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 so glad that now everybody wants to go out and, and read this the Herald because they want to figure out how the monks of Candlekeep season their soup. Yes, and yes. what happens when they use the privy? And what happens when they use the privy? <laughs> and what happens when there are 
are things in the flow of the plumbing that shouldn't be there. Oh, now you're getting into things I don't even want to think about. <laughs> oh, these are really big things. It's not like you call the plumber to get the drain unblocked. Remember that it's conversation like, we had about recording, how you always end up going dirty? Yes. <laughs> yes. This well, is, this, this is a whole different kind of dirty. dirty. <laughs> yeah, there are times when Elminster's going, hmm, I got to keep my mouth shut and my nose shut because I'm getting up to my eyeballs, literally in, um, never mind. <laughs> All right. Well, very good. Thank you for joining us again on the Tome Show. I always tell people if you if you need an interview, Ed Green was the guy to go to because you can write three questions, ask him, and he'll talk for a half an hour. It'll be perfect. of course, yeah. <laughs> Shutting up the problem, not the talking. <laughs> very good. Thanks for joining us. A pleasure. Thank you. And we're back now to the legends and lore article updates. Who wants to talk about them? Jeff. Let's go. start with uh, magic <laughs> items. He, he he had an article oh, on he had an item uh, an article on magic items and attunement and how all that's going to work. Uh, Randall seems to have an opinion on it though, so go. Yeah, I think um, in general this is a good a good thing, uh, mainly because it's scaled. Um, attunements are tricky because one they can be time consuming, and if you're a DM that's got hours and hours and hours to take every single magic item in your campaign minus potions and scrolls, because those don't have attunement on them, um, and decide who the background is and what the legend is and et cetera, et cetera, essentially the story behind the weapon, that can be pretty tedious and time-consuming. Um, it's nice that the major items in the, cam- in the game, uh, things like the Hand of Vecna or the Rod of Seven Parts, that kind of thing, will have attunements and drawbacks with them. I mean, that's basically what artifacts do anyway. So... Uh, mm-hmm. It's nice that those are still in place, but it looks like ordinary magic items, the option to put them in to be attuned is there, but it doesn't sound like you have to have uh, quite the number, same number of specifics um, when you're talking about them. And I think that's great. If it's scalable, I'm happy with it. That way you can use it to your heart's content or you can ignore it and you know not worry about it hardly at all. And I found it interesting because a few, for a few reasons, right? Uh, for in one case, this whole attunement idea, um, it changes the way magic items work in the in the setting and in the story of D and D, and and that is oftentimes something I would resist. Except I think it does it in an interesting way that I like. Um, although, well, why why do you say it changes the way magic items work? Because that's, I mean, this has never been a part of how magic items have worked in D&D before, right? Well, it's been a part of artifacts. I mean, I I guess my thing is, back in the real early days, you know, sometimes you would get a, what you thought was just some kind of generic plus one sword and it would be like a named artifact and you didn't know until later. Right. So in that way, attunement in, the, in that sort of way existed. Yeah, it, it did, but it, 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 you're talking about it – something that was happening in old school that didn't really happen as much later on, right? Second, third, fourth edition didn't do stuff like this. Right, but I'm, that's because I'm responding to your comment that, that it's something it's changing magic items to a way that's never been done, okay. and I'm saying, uh... So, so not never been done, but hasn't been done in recent editions. Is that more fair? Sure. Okay. So, yes, but I'd say first and second it still did, so... Well, and, and that's okay. Um... But but it is changing things from what what modern players of D and D are probably used to, 
probably. Um, and, and I don't think that's bad. I think it's actually moving it in a good direction, but it is different, right? It, um, being able to, to grab a magic item and, or, or cast Identify on it and, and know what it does, that doesn't work anymore. Now you just yep. sort of can figure out, hey, this thing can be attuned. I better attune it and see what happens. Oh, that could come with consequences, or it could be awesome, but who knows? And I think it's also different because you can only attune up to three items. Right, uh, and yeah. and in an addition where you're trying to downplay the the magic item glut, that mm-hmm. makes sense. But it is different than what we're used to from some previous editions, because you know it used to be, hey, I found a magic magic item, I pick it up and I figure out what it does, and now I can u- do everything that it does. Right, I just know it all and I can do it all. Right. Uh, they mm-hmm. even talk about how like if you look at certain iconic characters like Drist, you know, he, he would be attuned to his iconic items. And like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. And then everything else is sort of a, a more mundane or less, you know, not attuned, but, you know, so you just get a, the, the plus one for it or whatever. Uh, except that it's like when I specifically look at Driss, I don't know that I can narrow it down to just three. <laughs> like he has mm-hmm. many iconic items, right. you know? Well, think of it this way too. It's a sneaky story way to make players think that magic items are just to not – to make players um, – not think that magic items are disposable. Right. So, in other words, if you've got an elaborate story behind this weapon or some reason that um, its full powers won't be realized until far f- farther on down the line, which may or may not happen, um, it doesn't, uh, you know, the player is less likely to, oh, I won't, you know, I'm going to donate this or sell it the first chance I get. Um, you're more likely to hang on to it, even if it's particularly since. Um, the plus values of certain items are not really, they don't have the same impact. Mm. I mean, I think the biggest things are going to be like, what, plus three or something? I, you know, I can't remember what they said. But they won't have the same kind of impact as like they did in third and fourth edition. Mm. I can remember people, players carrying around dozens of wands <laughs> of, for like every occasion mm-hmm. because they were cheap and easy to make. And you would, it, it was like, okay. <laughs> You know, wands of magic door location. One, I mean, secret door oh, yeah, location. You'd, you'd have a, right. whole, yeah. a whole sheath full of wands. Mm-hmm. Ones of healing. Ones of fireball. You know, blah blah blah. But yeah, it's. Um, I like the idea of magic items being special. Mm-hmm. And um, well, it also add- lets. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say it allows the DM to tailor the the treasure hoards that are found in his adventures to the players that he has around the table. Um, Building that into the story, and like I said, for for me, it's more of a sneaky story thing than anything else. Mm-hmm. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with pa- player power or power levels right. or anything like right. this. Like it did in three in the third edition, it has everything to do with story and mm-hmm. and integrating that into the campaign. So, yep. And I think it's interesting because I wonder if I wonder how long they've had this idea in mind, and I wonder if they told some of their authors about it because I've noticed. Um, I've just recently finished listening to the latest R.A. Salvatore book. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, the, the last two books have involved a, a bunch of old characters that have been dead for a long time coming back to life, being reincarnated and coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the characters in, in his new life, because they all grow up for 20 some years until they meet back up together, uh, in his new life acquired a, a magic item 
and he describes it in one of the most recent books as, yeah, it's like this thing is connected to my soul. It's not intelligent like these other things that we've seen in the past, uh, items from mm-hmm. you know, second edition days, but right. it's like it's connected to me and I can do things with it because of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, is he totally describing attunement? And I didn't even think of it then, yeah. but now that I read this article, it's like, I think he might be describing attunement, which is weird mm-hmm. because he had to have written this thing like a year ago, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I do. Yeah. I, I Go ahead, wanna, Sam. I'm sorry. I, yes, I think. Yes. No, it's okay. I think, Jeff, I think either I misheard you or – because you said that you can cast and identify, but it doesn't tell you what it is. But that's not true. It doesn't tell you, you what, what you get from attuning it, though. Sure it does. It says you, the identify spell reveals all of an item's properties and drawbacks. Oh, okay. I must have been thinking of something else. Yeah. It says this spell is no longer necessary to learn an item's secrets because you can just <laughs> use it and you'll eventually learn them all. But – you know, it does save you the risk of accidentally attuning to an evil item okay. or something that will, you know, that will make you, you know, turn into a frog or something. I you know what I'm saying? I like, must have been so. Yeah. So it's like, the, but it's like the magic items have two different levels, right? There's the this right. is what you get from just using it, and this is the extra boost you get from attuning it. And and I think there was a bit where they talked about how you know in the past some some DMs have have played it where you found a new magic item, you grab it, you play with it for for a little while, and now you know what it does, and you can still do mm-hmm. that. But you only get the basic level. Other than that, you just sort of figure out, oh, it's a plus one longsword, but it could be attuned, and who knows what happens when you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can do it either way. I mean, and, and also, you know, it also depends on how you run other magical things in your setting. Like, you know, it, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think the limit of having three attunements, I know that some people really dislike that um, because it puts such a huge, it seems like a, a large limit, you know or a, a, a big barrier to becoming powerful. But the thing is that the sense I get is if you've got a magic item and it's attuned, it really is like the artifact of old where it is a huge, powerful force in this setting. And you don't need 12 of those. You know what I mean? Like you, sure. it would, it would not make sense to have 12 of those. And honestly, to those people, I would say two things. Uh, one, I would say, Try it out before you make a judgment as to whether or not it, it restricts you from being too powerful because the, ma- the math of the game is completely different than anything you've done before. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be that it's still adequately powerful um, within, that, within that frame. And then two, if it turns out it still doesn't grab the style of game that you want to play – Fine. Change the rule. Let them attune to five. Mm-hmm. Let them attune to right. eight. Whatever. That's really right. easily exactly. Hackable. Yeah, that's easily. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Or you can add in sort of what we might call regular magic items. Oh, give them a couple of plus one swords, but those aren't attunable. They're just kind of the throwaway plus one sword. I mean, that's you know, you can run your game however you feel you should be running your game. I, I think what this is is a nice tool that codifies sort of here's how you could do this a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I did have one comment about the identify. Mm-hmm. I actually think that this to me seems like a contradiction. The first sentence says the identify spell reveals all of the item's properties and drawbacks, but then it says it's no longer necessary to learn an item's secret. Um, right. That's because see, if to you, me, well, to but, me, an item secrets, it's all of its properties and drawbacks. So right. That's well, what's really confusing? Yeah. There. No. The the, the <laughs> thing there is because if you look at the paragraph right above it, it says you don't have to cast identify. You can just use the item and decide to attune to it, and then over time, it will reveal its abilities and benefits and drawbacks. You know, take take a while to show themselves. But if sure. you cast an identify, you could learn it all right then. Do we know if that's a level-based thing? 
identify it? What do you mean? Yeah. No, the attunement process. Oh, it doesn't say. Yeah, it doesn't. I wonder if that's what's in the like. In other words, it seems. It sounds like you have to fill out – the DM needs to fill out information about a weapon for the attunement. And I wonder if that's simply a matter of choosing features by level and putting them in a, mm-hmm. in a list. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so mechanically Maybe. speaking is what right. I'm talking about now. So I don't – yeah. I could also I see it being very much like these are the abilities of this, of this item. Uh, but I can either be uh, take the lazy DM route, which is absolutely fine and, and one that I would probably utilize on multiple occasions. Of okay, you've attuned it. Here's here's what it can do. You know, play it, play mm-hmm. that up in the story however you want. Uh, or you can you can actually parse it out and reveal it. You know, oh, um, you know, you're you're fighting this fire elemental, and haha, I never told you before, but this thing uh, grants five fire resistance. You know, this is the first time it's been relevant, mm-hmm. so this is the first time I've told you about it. You know, right. In fact, that before this article was published, I actually am. I had a one of my players in in my campaign found an item, and they didn't do identify. He just found this item and he sort of stored it away. And then later on, they came back and they got their little cache of items, and they realized, oh, that's that's a special item. And he took it and he tried to get it identified, and so he learned a little bit of the properties of it, but he didn't learn the whole backstory. But he did learn that it has a name. And so it's like, oh, this is a named item, you know, now we have to – and it's kind of it's kind of following – it's funny. It's kind of following the same kind of attunement process mm-hmm. where as he uses it more and more, he's learning more and more about it. But it's also insinuating itself into his sort of, you know, his psyche a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that this is a way that you can do that sort of thing without breaking the rules or without – you know anyone getting upset or or without getting stuck because you didn't think it all the way through like here they've thought it through for you here's how it works here's how it works pretty good and and here's a system already written into the core book for you to use awesome anything else on magic items and attunement nope we got three more articles to talk about let's talk traits (laughs) flaws and bonds someone else can take the lead on that one all right so uh, way back in the early days of, of Mike Murrell's talking through Legends and Lore about um, some ideas he had for D&D Next, he talked about uh, traits, flaws, and bonds, three sort of things beyond alignment that you could use to describe your character, right? Something about them, something uh, that, you know, here's a feature of the character, here's a connection they have to somebody else, and here's you know, a problem that they have, Right. Uh, and that would be a, just sort of an interesting way. And here's some ways you can use it mechanically. And if, if your player can justify this thing applying in this situation, you can grant them a plus two or whatever, right? Uh, and so now they've given us a little bit more in this article about sort of how that played out, right? And it looks like mm-hmm. one of the reasons we're going to get a player's handbook that's 320 pages, just like the fourth edition one, even though the, the individual class descriptions have to be way shorter because of the lack of all the powers – Right, I think some of mm-hmm. that's going to come in the form of uh, lots and lots of tables. Yep. Right. I mean, he he highlights four different tables just in this one, and some of these tables only apply to specific builds of specific classes. Mm-hmm. Like the personality trait one is specifically for a specific build of cleric. You know. Oh, it's an acolyte. Yeah, he's actually it's it, they're built on backgrounds. 
Right. So if the acolyte is your background, ah. then those are the four tables for acolyte. Very good. Um, yeah, that makes sense. If it was spy, it would be four different tables. Right. Or some, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of some of the other backgrounds, right. but yeah. Yeah. So you get so you, so that means there's going to be lots of these tables, and they they've got a, a number and a, and a dice associated with them. So if you want to roll randomly to, to put your character together, boom, you've done that. Some of them have alignments connected to them in the ideal section. Hey, you if you take uh, if you take. Ideal number two, charity. I always try to help those in need, no matter what the cost. Well, guess what? You're good, you know. <laughs> or if you take this other one, you're lawful or chaotic or whatever, right? Um, and so I like that they they give you this option of you can just pick one off the list, or roll a die, you know, mm-hmm. and, and generate a character randomly. If you're having a hard time finding inspiration, guess what? You can just generate a character. Yeah, um, I guess the thing for me with these is that. While, yes, it could be an assistance to folks that haven't really done a lot of character development and things like that, and I think those can be good tools. To me, it's nothing new, though, because if you look at the the Dungeon Master's Guide in the first edition, there are tables and tables and tables of NPC qualities of various kinds, Mm -hmm. and they're like almost the exact same thing. I mean, there's rules of order. Except that was in the DMG, and this is part of... No, no, character okay. creation, right? And that's fine, Sam. It, I mean, to me, the book is irrelevant. It's just a matter of the yeah, fact yeah. that it's the same kinds of sets of tables. Absolutely. And so, you know, to me, it's not new. Not, oh, yeah. I'm not yeah, invalidating no. it. It's just yeah, not yeah. a new thing. No, no, yeah. it's, uh, no. I, to- I totally, I and totally. I don't think anybody's claiming that it's that it's the new mechanic that's going to change D&D, right? But it's a return to something that we haven't seen in a long time. And honestly, uh-huh. it reminds me a little bit. This last week in my game group, uh, we played Fiasco instead of our normal game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it reminds me a little bit of that. Like I could, I could randomly roll up certain things, just like I, you could randomly roll up or, or assign certain things in Fiasco and say, "Okay, this is insane. How can I possibly make this into a character?" And then you can make it work, right? I could see doing the exact same thing here, where I don't need help building a new character, but it could be kind of fun to do it this way, just to see if I could cobble something together that actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. Or you know, it's 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 also like a it, it's a prompt, right? So yeah. you might roll on the table, and you might get one and think, oh, I don't really see my character like that. How about this? Or oh, maybe that's how my character is now, but that's a new thing for this character because my background is X, Y, and Z. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's more of a, let me get into this and think about my character more than just what are my attributes and skills. And I think oh, absolutely. I think yeah. it's also telling because it shows that they are thinking more about the story of the game than they did in 4th edition. Mm-hmm. You know, This is something that they never had, this kind of thing in 4th edition, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, n- not exactly. No, no, not, they yeah, didn't. they really didn't. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that one's a fairly quick one. I think I don't think there's there's need for a, lo- a ton of conversation on that. Um, well, a lot of a lot of the a lot of people don't like it. Um, no, 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 and that's fine. I think, you know, I'm not. Saying I, that- I think it's it's. I think what we're going to find is a lot of things in the player's handbook are going to be here's an option that you could use. If you want to. Yeah. And that's how this one feels. And, and I get mm-hmm. that. And, and I get that some people don't like it. And, and I'm not invalidating that. I'm just saying I don't know that there's much more that we can add to the conversation. Yeah. That's oh, what, yeah. That's no, what no. it is. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I, I was just saying that we, we sound like we're all in agreement. But I think it's a little bit of a – it's a little more controversial than, than maybe we're – you know, the news is showing that it is. Cause, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, but it, it's also one of those things that I feel like, OK, so I don't want to do it. So you don't do it. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> it also well, it al- there's also a spot on my character sheet that says hair color. If I don't want to pick a hair color, then I don't. You also <laughs> won't find it in the you also won't find it in the basic PDF. Oh so. no, I, I'm almost right. certain it won't be in the basic. Right, that's right. 
Um, okay, so next on the list is The Art of War. I know many people were excited about this. Uh, they, they talk, even he talks about this, uh, Mike Merles talks about this in, in this article uh, as well, that um, for a long time as they've collected feedback from playtests and other areas, one of the things that people really wanted was a mass combat system. Yes. And this is an article get, saying we're going to have a mass combat system. It's going to be in the core books, and this is kind of how it's going to work. And I like the name. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what are they calling it? Because I actually don't have that article up in front of me. It's Battle System. Which oh, is, which is what it was in the second edition. That's what it used yeah. to be called. Yeah, yeah, I know. After Chainmail, but before you know, third edition came out, it was Battle System, and so they brought it I back. I have as Battle that System. original box. Absolutely, set. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. say, he talks about how ninety percent of the rules are the exact same as the rules of D anD D that you already know. So there's not much more to learn. Uh, there's basically uh, what are they called stands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which are groups, so, which mm-hmm. are groups of which yeah. are groups. Yeah, so each so it assumes it assumes mapped combat. Each miniature in a, in a one square it represents what twenty feet per square, and each one represents you know a, a stand. And a stand could mm-hmm. be ten if you're small or medium, or it could be five if you're large, or two if you're bigger, or whatever. Right? Um, right. And then and then you can also have a miniature that just represents your one character uh, and there's all kinds of rules about how that works and, and whatever so um, I don't know I, th- I feel like it um, I, I, I anticipate getting use out of the battle system rules and they look like they're moving in a good direction So I can speak from a historical con- um, context here and having played the big Dragonlance battles from the modules mm-hmm. using battle system I loved it over an entire pool table we yeah. had this thing set up, and it was brilliant. Well, so. the thing about a mass combat system is that, like, we haven't had one since Battle System in Second Edition, right? Um, not really. Yeah. I think there were some rules for it, but they were very loose yeah. and not. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so, I, I like the idea of returning to it. I like the idea of having it around. It's one of the things that like comes up once or twice in a campaign. It's it's relatively rare, but when you need it. You need it, you know, and and it hasn't mm-hmm. been there for a long time. It's sort of that if you want to have some sort of huge climactic battle, mm-hmm. if you're really running a campaign where, you know, that the world will be changed by the uh, the outcome of this humongous battle, then sometimes it's nice to have a humongous battle yeah. on the table. Absolutely, you know. Oh, and, but even and even I'm thinking even smaller scale than that, Sam. Think of a town mm-hmm. who's, um, you know. Up against oh, yeah, a rampaging yeah. group of yeah. uh, uh, brigands or something like that. Sure. Oh, there's lots of ways to use it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, I used battle yeah. system back in the day, and it was very fun to do that. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those things where it depends on how you run your campaign. You might only have a, a, a need to have something like this work for you know once every two years, or you know some people will do a small siege to to, to smaller towns and mm-hmm. use the whole thing. So yeah, absolutely. I think it's great to have it as an option. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's cool. All right, and it, and it seems like they've really thought about using you know the making it a sort of modern, easy to use system. It, it doesn't seem like it's sort of a fly by night. Oh, we're just you know talking about this because everybody mentioned they wanted it, and here's some thoughts. It's you know here's some settled ideas that we're really implementing into this system. So that's good. Yep, absolutely. I'm 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 liking everything that I'm seeing so far about the direction that the new game is going. So I'm I'm more pumped than ever to to drop my 150 bucks to play. <laughs> I'm just glad it's spread out over several months, so I don't <laughs> have to take the hit all at once. Sure. 
All right, and then the last uh, article sent in our what two month here news cycle. Well, can I mention something first for those of you who who enjoy the drawings of the you know the uh, what's his name Jason Thompson did the drawings of the um, of uh, of the Isle of Dread and of the what did he do the um, oh the the map things do? yeah the the map things there's one for the studying of the hill giant chief the old uh, G one module. Um, and it's it's pretty good. So no, no you can't mention it. Uh, too late. <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> uh, it's, I'll have my editor take it out. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So onto the last Legends and Lore article for this news cycle: uh, making the DM's job easy. Um, they basically say you know, they've been saying for a long time we want to. Bring the next edition to appeal to the older players and all that kind of stuff, but we don't want to lose the the great things we gained with fourth edition. And one of the great things we learned with fourth we gained with fourth edition was how easy it is to DM, right? And so this is him going a little bit more in depth and detail about how they're going to do that with next. He talks about how the rules uh, are fairly simple because the rules are fairly simple. Prep is easier, Um, and then he specifically gets into okay, and here's how you. Uh, scale certain things, and here's how you work magic items, and all that's simpler, so that's easier. Uh, and, they, and then I think more, the most interesting bit is when he starts talking about encounter and monster design. And he says, you know, um, encounter design works, works off of a budget system. We're using challenge ratings instead of levels for monsters, uh, which actually goes back to third edition. Like as he describes it, it's very similar to what we saw in third edition. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, and so, and then that does. And there's a, a, a Q&A, Rule of Three article, where Ronnie Thompson addresses the, the challenge rating issue as well. And he sort of clears it up a little bit and says, you know, there's a few reasons for that. You know, first of all, we already have level that means two different things, character level and spell level. Also having a monster level that's slightly different as well doesn't, you know, it just adds unneeded complication. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, he goes on to sort of explain, plus we wanted to have creatures with uh, lower than one. And if you're going to have fractions, that doesn't make as much sense for, as, for levels as it does for challenge rating. Right. Um, and then he also said, you know, and then if you give it a level, that makes it feel like it's not useful after a certain point anymore. You know, if it's mm-hmm. a third level creature and you're tenth level you know, characters, uh, it makes a DM more hesitant to say, yeah, I want to pull that out and use it. Right. Uh, and they're saying, well, that's you know, that isn't that's not as much the case with a challenge rating. Okay, so it's challenge rating three. You just need more of them. You know, to fill out your budget, uh, your your whatever, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then he talks about monster, how monster design is, in some ways, very. If you're a fourth edition player, he, he says monster design is very familiar. And then he says, and if you're a third edition player, monster design is very similar to that too. Like, there's a lot, a lot of different approaches to how you can design mm-hmm. monsters. You can you can assign them and build them like a character, and then um, look at all the different things that you've done, and look at the powers you've added, and look what the ability modifiers are, and all that, and say, okay, well, based on the math, here's the formula I put it into, and boom, this is the this is what the CR for this creature should be, right? Um, but you can also take a fourth edition approach to, to monster design and say, okay, here's the challenge rating I'm looking for, so here here's the array of stats I should use, uh, you know, and here's the kinds of powers that I should be using at this at this challenge rating, and boom, now I've got a monster that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, that's um, sort of where they're at, and he talks about, you know, trying to build creativity well, so, into it as well. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, this paragraph jumped out at me, so I'm going to read it. It says, for the creative elements, the parts of the game that are driven by writing and creativity rather than rules... D&D Next provides copious tables and step-by-step instructions to help you create material quickly and easily. 
For beginners, this approach provides an easy template to follow. For veterans, it's a starting point filled with plenty of sample ideas to use or to modify. And that, to me, sounds fantastic because if you remember, my mantra for the past eight months has been – as long as they provide ample advice for beginners, mm-hmm. I'm fine with whatever they want to do. Yep. And so he's actually – in three or four of the most recent articles, he's mentioned here's how we're doing that and here's how it helps beginners and here's how it helps veterans. And I really like that he's addressing that. Yep. So yeah, I, um, that's sort of where he's at. He talks mostly about monster design and encounter design being relatively simple and easy, uh, and that's where it's going to help DMs out. Other than that, it's just the game is simpler, and so that makes prep easier. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I haven't he- I haven't read anything in the last several months as they've gotten more detailed and more specific about the things they're publishing. I haven't heard anything that that concerns me overly much. Um, I'm excited to see where it's all going to go. Yeah, me too. Any last bits of news anybody wants to discuss from the last two months or month and three quarters or whatever it's been? I don't think so. No, I All think right. we're good. We covered a lot. That's uh, Well, we're an hour eight without the interview, so I think we've got plenty of episode <laughs> here. Uh, so yeah. I think we're going we're gonna to call the episode good. All right. All right. Well, we want to thank you guys for supporting us by shopping at Amazon and D&D Classics through our affiliate links over at thetomeshow.com. And you can also find show notes and other great D&D shows over at thetomeshow.com. And if you want to get a hold of us, feel free to email thetomeshow at gmail.com. Or you can call our world-famous biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. B-I-Z? Is there another vowel you might have put there? <laughs> Hey, B I Z, not B O Z, not the boss tone. <laughs> hey, well, you know, if I let you do it, you'll call it the toe show again. So you that's know, that's true. That's true. <laughs> the mighty mighty boss tone. Oh wait, that's something else. <laughs> all right, all right. Until next time, this is Jeff Griner signing out for myself, Sam Dillon, and our man hiding under the largest treasure hoard ever assembled, Randall Walker. Hey, hey. Keep on gaming, Tomites. Mm-hmm.